0: Second Chronicles chapter 9 gives us the visit of the Queen of Sheba. She comes to meet King Solomon to see if he's all that she has heard about him, and she finds him, in fact, to be everything he is rumored to be. Solomon's great wealth is reviewed before Scripture records his death. He's ruled for 40 years, and he is succeeded by his son Rehoboam. As we move into chapter 10, we also move into a different era of life for the people that God has called. The author is going to continue to focus on the descendants of David. That's going to be the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, rather than Israel, the northern kingdom. Remember that 10 of the tribes are going to go with Israel. They're going to support a different king. Two of the tribes, um, Judah And the remnant tribe of Benjamin are going to become the southern kingdom. And so in this particular instance, the majority is wrong. Majority rule does not always make the right choice. Rehoboam is going to reign, and we're going to hear about his reign in chapters 10 through 12. He's going to be disobedient, and his sin is going to bring war. But being a descendant of David and having correct temple worship are going to preserve them from total annihilation. It's also going to help them during the reign of Abijah, which we'll have in chapter 13. And we're going to come the closest to the ideal of a kingdom and a king in the reign of Asa, which we'll have in the early part of chapter 14. Yet throughout all of this, even through the high points of the reign of Abijah and Asa, They're going to remain a fractured kingdom, and that's going to be reviewed as as rebellion against God and wrong. Um, It's going to diminish their witness to the world, and it's going to bring attack rather than the peace and prosperity that they experienced under the reigns of David and Solomon. So the narrative picks up with the reign of Rehoboam, and we see him getting off to a pretty decent start. His reign is presented very similarly to that of Solomon. Both of them start outside Jerusalem and journey to the center of life, which is Jerusalem, and interact with other nations. Solomon interacted with the Queen of Sheba. Rehoboam is going to interact with Shishah of Egypt. But Solomon is heralded by all of Israel as king. Rehoboam is not. Chronicles chapter 10 roughly coincides with 1 Kings 12. The people come to Rehoboam and they ask for a burden that is lighter than what they experienced under his father. Rehoboam, however, is going to think it's a time to show a sign of strength. I won't be questioned. I won't compromise. I am king. I believe that it requires the Holy Spirit to help us discern when we should yield, when we should be willing to compromise, and when we have to stand strong and not let people push us around. Rehoboam makes the wrong choice here. It also implies that one of the reasons he makes the wrong choice is because he listens to young people, young advisors, people his age, instead of listening to those who have wisdom and life experience. He tries to force The people to do as he says, they rebel, and this leads to the fracture of the kingdom. In chapter 11, we go on to talk about Rehoboam's reign. He secures Jerusalem um, and he listens to the prophet Shemaiah to avoid starting a civil war, and this is a good move. Faithful priests leave Israel and come to Judah. They are leaving idolatry. They are leaving disobedience, staying with the doctrines that they believe, which is that Jerusalem is the center of worship. They're going to experience three years of security due largely to the fact that they are worshiping God properly. Rehoboam is portrayed as having a large family, which is a sign of blessing. 18 wives, 60 concubines, 28 sons, 60 daughters. He has a favorite wife and he has a favorite son, Abijah. He creates a wise administrative structure. He creates a presence and an influence throughout the kingdom. This is a really smart move on his part. Rather than the king being someone distant that the people don't know, they have someone who represents the royal family, who can listen to them, who can hear them. They feel connected. They know the royal family. It's, it's a really wise way of creating loyalty among his people. However, as we move into chapter 12, we see that pride goes before a fall. Rehoboam is not going to remain faithful. He's going to drift away from God. An attack is going to come from Egypt. Shemaiah confronts him of his foolishness, and he repents. And because he repents, God relents. But there are still going to be consequences. Um, They're going to serve Egypt. They're going to serve Shisha instead of serving God. It's important that we learn the lessons that God places before us. Sometimes consequences are the best teachers that we can have. Egypt comes in and plunders the enormous treasury of Solomon and takes the gold shields. Now Rehoboam makes imitations out of bronze, not to fool the people, they would have known the difference between bronze and gold. He does it to remind himself. Very often in the Bible, bronze represents judgment, whereas gold represents the presence of God, metal that has been purified and is bright and brilliant. We saw that in the tabernacle, in the wilderness. Everything that is outside of the temple proper is bronze, but what is inside the tabernacle proper is Inside the holy place and the holy of holies is gold. So outside of God is judgment. But after we make our sacrifice, our atoning, and we come into the presence of God, then we are purified. So the bronze represents the judgment of God. The the um, gold shields would remind him on a regular basis that he has sinned and he is experiencing God's judgment. And he carries them with him whenever he goes to the temple as a reminder. He's 41 years old when he becomes king. He reigns for 17 years. He never experiences God's ideal. There's an inability throughout the narrative to sustain constancy in obeying God. They just don't seem to be able to obey God completely and consistently. In chapter 13, we have the reign of Abijah beginning. He will reign over Judah we see this correlating with 1 Kings 15. Abijah is going to reign for three years. He gets into a battle with Jeroboam, and that battle is going to dominate the story of his reign. Abijah appeals to God's choice of house David as the reason why the rebellion of Israel cannot succeed. The implication is that you do not abandon God's chosen method or chosen group just because you disagree or because you feel mistreated. Um, Even if you actually are in the right and current leaders are in the wrong, you reform from inside. You don't rebel. You don't split. You don't cause schism. Um, We stay and we work through things together as the people of God. The battle is won by crying out to God. There's a battle cry that routs the enemy. Jeroboam's rebellion is defeated. 500,000 Israelites die in this civil war battle. And uh, that should give us all pause and make us quite sad. Abijah takes some of the cities, um, but this is not reunification. And then the narrative tells us that Jeroboam dies. Abijah had 14 wives 22 sons, 16 daughters. There are no concubines mentioned. Notice that he has more sons than daughters. That would have been considered another sign of blessing, um, that God blesses him with many, many sons. And that's kind of an ugh moment for me as a woman. Um, Ido, I-D-D-O, the Talmud is the central text of rabbinic Judaism, And the Talmud identifies this, Ido, as the unnamed prophet who prophesied against Jeroboam in 1 Kings 13. So over here in Chronicles, we have him named. Later in 2 Kings, about 300 years later, um, Josiah is going to find his tomb, but we're also not going to name him at that point. Uh, Jerome in the 5th century, a Christian commentator, is going to identify him with um, Oded, the father of Azariah in Second Chronicles 15, 8, but this is not the same Ido as we see in Ezra 8, 17, 5, 1, 6, 14, or Zechariah 1, uh, 1, and 7. That Ido is the paternal grandfather of Zechariah and not the same man that we're referring to here. But I think it's interesting that First Kings didn't name this person, um, but Chronicles does. In chapter 14, Abijah does better than Rehoboam, but Asa is going to do better than Abijah. They're going to experience peace for 10 years. The kings are portrayed here, um, Asa in particular, as faithful, but allowing the people to continue pagan worship. So while he's going to be faithful to God, he's not going to insist that everyone else is Um and that's going to be held against him. Um, Asa is going to, I'm, I'm sorry, Abijah does not require the people to reform, but Asa is. He's going to insist on religious reform. Uh, check this out in First Kings in chapter 15. The religious form, however, is not as complete as it could have been, and the ongoing disunity is going to block the full realization of an ideal kingdom of God. And with verse 8, we're going to see the end of Asa's reign. Chapter 14, verse 9 through chapter 20, verse 34, is going to be another section. We're starting a new portion of the chronicler's narrative. Even though Asa's reign um, continues here in chapter 14, there's a shift in what happens. In this section, the ideal is going to remain possible but elusive. It could have been realized, but it isn't. War comes against even the faithful kings, and the rebellious Israel destabilizes even a good king's efforts here. There's a massive invading Ethiopian army with 580,000 troops that defeat their million. So um, they're going to be successful against a much larger invader because of God. God is with them. They were broken before the Lord and his army. It's interesting that it calls the army God's army and not Asa's army. Um, so I hear myself singing in my head the song I learn in children's choir, I'm in the Lord's army. So the plunder that they enact begins to replenish the treasury that Egypt has taken. Um, so in the Old Testament, we see a lot of kind of shifting of wealth back and forth as the tribes and the nations attack one another. So it belongs here for a while, and then it gets conquered and taken over there. In chapter 15, Azariah prophesies faithfully. Prophesies faithfulness, and that's going to be a blessing. Asa further um, enacts religious reforms. He kills all those who would not become loyal to God only. So he's quite moved by the fact that God has delivered them in an unlikely situation. Even his own mother is expected to comply with the religious reforms. Yet we are told that he leaves the high places. If he's going to kill people for worshiping in the wrong ways, why does he leave any of the places where it happened? Why didn't he destroy them all? In chapter 15, verses 10 and 11, we see a celebration happening. This is most likely the festival of weeks, which we know as Pentecost. In chapter 16, King Baasha of Israel sets up a siege against them. Um, Judah, the kingdom of Judah is completely surrounded by the territory and the tribes that have gone with Israel. So they are absolutely able to stop anyone from coming in or going out. So that could also cut off the delivery of supplies that they need. Asa asks King Ben-Hadad of Aram, whose capital is in Damascus, for help, To He wants them to go and attack. Please, King Ben-Hadad, go attack Israel and distract them. If they are busy defending themselves against you, they won't have the time to keep this siege against us. Asa achieves his political end, but he does so by compromising his religious commitment. Instead of turning to God, he has turned to an outside nation. A seer... Um, Comes and condemns Asa for doing so. The seer's name is Hanani. Seers were the forerunners of the prophets. Asa, however, does not repent. He gets angry at being rebuked and he imprisons and tortures the seer Hanani as well as any who sympathized or agreed with him. When we are rebuked for doing something wrong, it doesn't matter how righteous we've tried to be or how much we have done right, we still need to repent of the wrong when it is pointed out to us. Um, In the Hebrew language, feet can be a euphemism for sexual organs. So it is very likely that Asa dies from a venereal disease Whereas David and Solomon are said to rest with their fathers, Asa is cremated, um, possibly because they were concerned about the spread of the disease that he suffers. Um, yet he is still portrayed as overall being honored for the good that he has done. So whereas he makes some mistakes, he doesn't destroy the high places, he has enacted the greatest degree of religious reform and though he has some hubris and resistance to repentance that has led him to be open to attack within his personal body, it does not undo the good that he has done. So that is is Second Chronicles chapters 9 through 16.